This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio are two guests this week. But first, I have a quick note to append to the last episode that came out, um, because I got, I think, more emails uh, about a particular answer than I have gotten in a while. Um, There was a letter writer who had found out recently that one of their coworkers at this nonprofit they both worked at was not making enough money to be able to pay uh, for rent and food every month, and they themselves were being paid a very low wage. And uh, the guests and I talked back and forth about all the different options that they might have had in terms of talking to other coworkers about how much they make, advocating for raises together, and so on and so forth. Um, And we forgot to say, you could also try to start, forgot, we were just talking off the cuff, and I was like, man, it'd be so great if somehow you could all collectively come together and advocate for your shared interests against management, if only there were a word for that. Oh, well. Too bad. Uh, there is a word for that. It's it's a union. Many, many of you wrote in to remind me that there is a word for that uh, and that it is union. Um, so that one is just 100% on me. I forgot what those were. They're a great idea. Uh, you should definitely consider uh, starting one. So thank you very much for the help. I don't think I will forget that word anytime soon. Um, and you can also stop sending me emails now, although you don't have to. Um, All right. With me in the studio this week are two guests, uh, Hillary Eason, who works in international development in Washington, D.C. With her is Tyler Eason, who's a data engineer in the Bay Area and who owns a dog who likes riding motorcycles. They are siblings, and they also have another sibling who is arguably better at giving advice, but who was not available today. Hillary, Tyler, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Has the dog actually ridden the motorcycle recently? Like, is that something you two do together? Uh, It was probably like... Four or five months ago, he has uh, some sick doggles that aren't technically doggles because doggles are a name brand. So it's they just look like a ski mask on a dog. I did not know that motorcycle goggles for dogs were so common that there was a brand called Doggles. Thank you for that. You're, you're welcome. It's a little bit like the Rave Cat with the headphones. Oh, God. You know, I do occasionally get updates from that letter writer. I've seen a couple of them in the column, and I really look forward to them. That was that was a really that was a really great letter. It was a real roller coaster. So. Um, but this is so exciting. I don't think I've ever had siblings on the show before. I've had one of my siblings on the show, but I have never had two siblings in the studio at once. And I'm very excited. Um, and I'm kind of curious to know how the two of you fought when you were growing up. Oh. Uh- I'll let you start. Oh, well, uh, we were um, – so I'm seven years older. Uh, our sibling is five years younger than me, and then Tyler is seven years younger. And so I think there was a lot of – you know, I babysat them a lot. Um, and I think for me sometimes it would be hard to blur the line between cool older sister and mom. And so I would just feel like you should be doing this. And my mother would be like, I think you can let that go. And he'd be like, no, you have to do it. But on the other hand, I definitely introduced him to a lot of – Uh, cool media and clothes and um, things that a cool older sister should do. And so I feel like I get some credit for that that takes away a little bit from the times that I yelled at him from, I don't know, 
not doing something the way I thought it should be done. Tyler, do you want to give her credit for that? <laughs> she gets credit for a lot of things, but she sometimes likes to cre- take credit for things that I discovered on my own and she also likes and she thinks she told me about. Um, sounds about right. As a, as a middle sibling, I can She's definitely... like, yeah, I totally like that. I told you told, told you about that in like the summer of 1995. Just kidding. I was three. It would have been like 2000. Yeah. But it happened. Like those are like the pettiest of arguments. And I'm just like, yeah, you did tell me about that. And in my mind, I'm like, she's wrong. But overall, I think we do, as adults in particular, we do get along quite well, which is nice. I'm happy to hear that. And I also hope that this can maybe reestablish some sibling fault lines. Oh, um, boy. As we disagree throughout (laughs) these various letters. So uh, I'm going to get started with maybe my favorite letter I have gotten in a long time. I really enjoyed this, and I especially enjoyed the kicker. Um, The subject line is simply, can spies find love? Dear Prudence, would you take a job if you could never talk about it? I've been offered my dream job. The problem is I won't be able to tell anyone where I work, what I do, or how I help people. Last year, I got out of a long relationship after my fiancé and I finally realized we wanted different things in life. And I've only just started to date again. Dating is hard enough as it is. How can I be honest with my dates if I take this job? Although I'm genuinely shy, I apparently come across as totally intimidating. My sister recently told me, you're kind of terrifying. I think she was trying to be nice. I doubt this new job will help with efforts to deplete my apparent aura of inapproachability. I was in the closet until my mid-20s. Now I'm in my 30s. I believe in being honest and living authentically. Will my new job be another kind of closet? Is it possible to be a smart, independent, competent lesbian with a super-secret power career and not scare all the nice women away? (laughs) I mean, you know, if Kim Possible and Shigo can make it work. I think they can. No, I, I think I'm I'm biased. I will start because I think I'm a little biased living in D.C. because this is surprisingly common, actually. So I'm going to guess that maybe they're not um, because these concerns have arisen. But I actually know several people um, about whose jobs I know very little. Um, so I feel like. But have you ever dated them? I've lived with them. Okay. So I think that counts. Um, I feel like, um, so I would first of all say, yes, it's definitely possible. And something that they probably want to explore as if they chose to take this job is um, what are the resources and suggestions that the job has? Because surely everybody else has relationships as well. And something that I have noted from my personal experience is that a lot of times deflection is going to be your best friend. I'm not saying that that's something that you want to maintain throughout all of your relationships. But in my experience with people who have jobs that um, they would prefer not to talk about, uh, you develop a sort of skill set of just making sure that nobody ever asks. And so I think that it is certainly possible in terms of whether or not it's something that would be hard to deal with given the sort of other issues that they mentioned in the letter. I think that's sort of a separate question. So. Yeah, yeah, because the idea is like I already have a little trouble letting people in or people feel like they can't be let in and I'm worried that this will contribute to that and I think that is a reasonable fear. I also, I, I genuinely don't know if the spy thing was like a throwaway line. I can't think of a lot of jobs outside of intelligence that genuinely require um, that much secrecy uh, outside of maybe maybe working at like a, a women's shelter that was helping people get away from abusive relationships. But like if it is an intelligence job that you're considering taking, bear in mind that sometimes part of the reason why they ask you not to talk about your job is because they want to ask you to do things that many people would find unconscionable. Um, and that that may be another reason to consider not taking this job. Although without more details, I can't uh, I can't speculate too much. But Yeah, they I, didn't tell us either. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, good start. You, you started off well. You didn't tell us what the job is. So my take is, I guess, a little from a different approach. Um, the letter writer describes it as her dream job. 
And if you have an offer on your dream job, and uh, the writer also describes it as helping people in a certain way, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound um, particularly nefarious, at least from our perspective. So uh, I'm a bird in the hand kind of guy. And especially since it's like accepting this kind of offer doesn't preclude a successful relationship later. Um, in my experience, I often regret things that I elected not to do instead of elected to try and failing. Mm-hmm. So I, this is something I would definitely go for the job and then work it out as you as you see, because it's the job is not no job is permanent. Right. And then the other, I guess, concern is like, how do I not be so intimidating? Um, I think people know that these jobs exist and you can just say, oh, I work for government, but I can't really talk about it. Or uh, if you like, you know, whip up a handful of jokes that you can say in response to this kind of question, people probably won't ask more than a couple times. Yeah. And and I do like the idea of try it and see if it works. It may very well be that you love the dream job, but that you yourself find that being in this serious relationship, like it's one thing if it's somebody you're seeing kind of casually, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I can't really imagine. I mean, A of all, I'm not great at keeping secrets. So I would not do well with a job where I couldn't tell anyone where I work. After like six weeks, I'd be like, guess where I work? You can't tell anyone. Um so that would just be, like, out for me from jump. Um, but there's a difference between, like, yeah, we've been seeing each other for a couple of months and there's lots of other stuff to talk about versus, like, we see a future together and I never talk about what I do all day. Maybe for some people that's great. I, I, it would make me feel like I was dying inside mm-hmm. and I would not be able to keep it up. Um, so, uh, you know, certainly give it a shot. And if you find that it does negatively affect your relationships, then you have some useful information and you can look for a different job. But I don't think... You know, if the fear is like, I already have to like work to seem approachable. And then if I can't talk about my job, no women will want to be with me. I think there's kind of two things you can do with that. One of them is look for women who like intimidating women. Mm -hmm. They definitely exist. Just like I'm thinking about everyone I follow on Twitter who like loses it when Sarah Paulson like tweets about um, her relationship. They love like power lesbians. Um, So those women definitely exist. Look for them. Look for women who love the fact that you're a little intimidating. Um, And, you know, then just also talk about that openly. Just kind of like mention, you know, sometimes um, I've been told that I seem unapproachable. That's not my intention. I don't want to be unapproachable. I want you to be able to talk to me or ask me questions about stuff that's not work. Um, And, you know best of luck. This is kind of amazing. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of nervous for you, but I'm also really hoping for a Kim Possible and Shido. I was going to say, I really hope that this is an, an indication that superheroes are real. Like, I would love that. Yeah. That's my dream. Yeah. yeah. And that they are lesbians. That would be yeah. fantastic. Yeah. No, even better. Yes. All right. So this next letter is way tougher than the first one. And I'm so sorry, Hillary. It's your turn to read this letter. But this one is really, really intense. That's all right. Um, yeah, yes, it is. Uh, subject, we lost three. Dear Prudence, around six months ago, my sister and her husband died in a terrible accident. A few days before that, she told me she was pregnant. She was planning to tell her parents and her in-laws at a dinner planned the day after the accident. As far as I know, I am the only one they told about the pregnancy. It's getting around the time she would have given birth, and I feel like I'm falling apart. I didn't tell their parents about her pregnancy because I couldn't bring myself to make their work worse. Sorry, My brother-in-law was an only child, and I likely can't have children, which my parents don't know. The sight of pregnant women and babies makes me want to cry. The other day, my mother said something about grandchildren, and I had to run out of the room to go vomit. I don't know what to do. I don't want to tell them and double their grief, but the secret is eating me up. Would it be terribly selfish and cruel to tell? How would I even do that? 
It might make me feel slightly better to not be alone with this, but I know it will make them all feel so much worse. Yeah. Yeah, this is just a brutal situation. Yeah. Um, I, I think something that happened only six months ago and is still like this intense with the entirety of the family, like um, if you have not already seen a grief counselor, uh, I, I think this is the sort of situation that grief counseling was designed for. Yeah. Because you're Definitely. facing this huge question um, and you should not have to contemplate what choices you make alone. Yeah. Um, but so with that kind of caveat of like give yourself time, see a grief counselor, talk about this with somebody who you know can be totally confidential. Um, what would you guys say? Like what would you want to weigh if you were in this situation? What would feel like something you would want to consider? What would be something you wouldn't want to consider? Um, this is something – on a much smaller scale that has actually come across both of us before. And it's that um, sometimes people around us, I guess, worry about how grief affects us too much. So we've both received delayed news on the passing of like close relatives. Mm. And I would greatly prefer if people not try and control how my grief, when and how my grief occurs. Mm. I think it's, it's harder. You don't want the people you care about to be, to feel this pain, but um, I think it's better to let them handle the, the, um, the grief at their own pace. And it's holding it in is one harder for you and you're denying them like this knowledge that you think is actually valuable to them, even though it's painful. Which is not to say that you should necessarily show up and go, guess what? Yeah, <laughs> I have really terrible news for you. But I, I do think that Tyler is right um, when it comes to not making those decisions for other people. You obviously have some knowledge about your family and, you know, how they might handle things. And that's certainly important to keep in, you know, to take into account. But I think that genuinely for the healing process, if this is something that you feel like they will be able to handle in some way, um, A, that's not really for you to sort of decide um, that they can or can't handle something. Um, And B, I think it's it could be really helpful for the healing process ultimately. You may not be ready for that. They may not be ready for that. And again, if you're not seeing a qualified grief counselor, I think that's something that you really want to talk over with them. That's definitely number one. Yeah, that is definitely number one. But, um, but yeah, I think that um, people can often handle a lot more than we give them credit for. And it's something that if there's – if you don't have like a really, really solid reason to hold it back, then I think that it is something that eventually you might want to share. But again, that's going to be your decision. So, but those are the things that I would weigh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the question of, it seems sort of connected to my mother also doesn't know that I can't have children yeah. and yes. was bringing up the, the possibility of grandchildren to me. And so I feel like that's kind of the key right now of what feels the heaviest. And, and the question there is like, can I, uh, like, do I have to share either that I think I can't have biological children or that my sister was pregnant at the time of her death in order to tell my mother, like, I know we're all going through a lot right now, but I really cannot handle talking about grandchildren. Um, and so I do think for whatever it's worth, you can absolutely have that conversation separately from anything else. Yeah. Like, um, you, you can just tell your mom, like, Part of what's really hard for me right now um, is thinking about the future or talking mm-hmm. about the possibility of grandchildren. Um, I totally understand that you're going through so much right now, too. I just cannot have that conversation right now. And it would mean so much to me if we could just leave that one to the side. Um, yeah. And then to kind of think through, especially in grief counseling, like what would be your 
um, what would be your desire? I, I I can really see like both telling and not telling. Yeah. Because um, on the one hand, it's like there's nothing anybody could do about it. It's all information that would just probably cause additional pain. Your parents might also potentially want to grieve that by talking about grandchildren a lot more. And mm-hmm. that might be hard for you. Um, that's not necessarily a reason not to do it. It's just worth thinking about in advance. Um but the secret eating you up is part of what makes me feel like you you deserve and need to see a grief counselor as soon as you possibly can. Um, because it'll feel like if you don't have anyone to talk about this with and your only options is to share it with your parents when you're all in the immediate aftermath of grief, that's going to feel like a huge proposition. But you can at least talk to somebody whose job it is to listen and 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 who will not take it on as like a, a personal trauma because it's not their family. Yeah. No, I would I would absolutely second the fact that you can't that just because this is a question you're grappling with doesn't mean that you can't sort of set some temporary boundaries. You know, that might be difficult. Uh, It might not be something that people immediately want to hear, but that might be the sort of best option in the interim is I think it's completely okay to say, you know, I'm not comfortable talking about this without saying, and I have all these other details to share. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where like, whether you tell them or whether you don't, whether you tell them now or or later, um, it's not the question of like, would it be selfish and cruel to tell them? No, it's it's a horrible situation, but you didn't create it. Um, you wouldn't tell you wouldn't be telling them because you wanted to hurt them. You'd be sharing painful reality because you feel alone and like you're being eaten up from the inside out. So nothing about that is cruel. Nothing about that is selfish. Um, it, it's just the like awful reality that you're living in right now. Um, and especially like this particular season, thinking like this is around the time that they would have become new parents and instead were celebrating the loss not only of their lives, but of the potential family that they would have created. I think it's also worth noting that um, your sister was planning on telling your parents this information. For ex- So if this unfortunate accident happened just days later, your parents would al- would be undergoing this, the same pain that you were, but not they would be sharing it with you and it wouldn't be alone. Yeah. So this is some knowledge that your parents could have had if this if the circumstances were slightly different and i can't i obviously can't speak for for the deceased but it you should consider knowing your sister if she would want your parents to know mm. yeah yeah that's a really good point and i think too when the question is like how would i go about telling them again i think that would be really helpful to run past the grief counselor but to think about what you want to communicate which is that um i've known something I haven't been able to share it with you because I've been going through so much grief myself, but um, it's been remaining in my mind. I know that she wanted to share this with you. It may add to your grief, and that's really been weighing on me, but I also feel like she wanted you to know, and so that's been what has inclined me to tell you, and that will um, at least make it clear where you're coming from. Um, And again, that doesn't mean that it's going to be a good or an easy conversation, but if you do decide to have it, um, that will be, I think, helpful context to give them. And just just for right now, all you have to do is get through today. Like, this is not something you need to do tomorrow or next week. Um, you know, just focus on whatever you need to get you to the end of the day. Because um, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. And it's only been six months. And, you know, please, you know, if, if you do or don't, just write back. Let us know how you're doing. Um, let us know if seeing a grief counselor has been helpful. We'd love to know how you're doing. All right. This next letter's all you, Tyler. All right. Subject. Wife isolates me socially. Dear Prudence, 
My wife doesn't consciously try to isolate me, but anytime I attempt to make plans with either my friends or family, she always pushes back. For example, she recently portrayed me as practically deserting her and the kids in favor of drinking with my buddies. In reality, I get together once a month with a small group of guys and have a couple of drinks at most. She recently got offended that I visited my parents who live an hour away and I hadn't seen in in a month because it meant she had to chauffeur one of our kids to church, which is a 10-minute round trip. She also isn't close to her family and very rarely socializes with her friends. I find myself growing more and more resentful towards her. When I tell her that it isn't normal to be so socially isolated, she doesn't really have a response. If I push back and, for instance, invite friends over to the house, she gets really upset. I can't see ending a 20-plus year marriage over this, but it is really becoming a major issue for me. How should I address this with her? I feel like this sounds a little complicated because you've tried, you know, you've tried having them here with you because your, your wife doesn't want you to leave. She wants you to be around, which, um, I mean, that's that's normal. You guys are a family unit and you but you can't you're having trouble either going out or having your friends over. Um, I would try addressing it a different way. And I would say, hey, I have um, like I have connections and friends that I want to maintain. I, I want to see these people periodically. Can we iron out um, a frequency frequency that this is acceptable? Because I think not seeing them is unacceptable. So trying maybe reaching a compromise first or, and saying, you know, I want to see them, you know, one day a month. It, it's It's a bit... I, I feel um, unreasonable to say you can't see your friends ever, right? I don't think anyone would agree that you could you're not allowed to ever see your friends. So glad we're all in agreement yeah. there. Yeah, no, we're absolutely we're yeah. we're absolutely in yeah. agreement there. Sorry, so continue. so set so once that's been established, okay, it's unacceptable to not see them. So establish what is a good compromise on how often you can see them, and then. I I feel like you're being pushed into a trope of these friends are your drinking buddies, which they very well may may be. But drinking buddies has an awful connotation where these may may be like genuine friends that, you know, you do other stuff with as well. Right. So you could also try and focus on making your activities less. Oh, we all went to a bar and drank, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, we all went bowling. And also we had a couple of beers while we were bowling, but we were bowling. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I like the compromise part, but I'm going to go back a little bit on some of the other stuff because I'm not actually sure that he or she knows what their wife wants because I feel like there's a big – so first of all, I feel like there is a big gap between um, this is frustrating to me and it's not normal that you're so socially isolated. Like that's – like that is – I'm curious to see because I kept waiting throughout this letter to be like, oh – and we've talked about it and she won't compromise. And we didn't really get that. I got some. It sounds like there's been a little bit of conversation, but their version of pushing back is I invited friends over to the house instead of can we talk about what it is that you don't enjoy about social engagements? Or can we talk about like the fact that these have been declined? Is there something we could do? it's important to me, like you're saying, is there something we could do to make these better, whether that's taking turns or reducing noise or maybe making keeping it because it seems like the reasons for this could be anything from I hate your friends to I'm extremely shy you know and so like I feel like until you sort of get to that it's really really hard to figure out what the um what the what the right answer is and I I don't I understand that the writer is probably really frustrated but I'm I feel like I'm not seeing a lot of understanding as to why this is and also as a fun tip like 
really reserved, that's not normal for your very last resort, if at all. Like, I feel like that's not a productive, that's not a productive <laughs> wow, phrase. Wow, you're a weirdo. Yeah. That, that's not a productive phrase to use with a significant other or, quite frankly, most other people. Yeah, and so, some people like, are happy homebodies. Some and that's people, normal for them. And actually, it's funny, we, um, like, I think you can, this is a dynamic you can actually see. Our parents have very different levels of introversion and extroversion. And they, you know, through talking and compromise, have, they balance it out, you know, so they, they take turns. Um, either staying in or going out or whatever. And it is something that takes a lot of conversation. But mm-hmm. yeah, sorry, Tyler. No, no, no need to apologize. Um, so you, you did bring up like trying to find out the root cause of why um, why the seat conflict is even occurring. So it could, based on the complaint that's in the letter, dear letter writer, you say um, she felt deserted uh, because you left. So um, this could also be indicative of like a deeper problem, like um is like childcare balanced work. Um, so we obviously don't know your situation on who who's working more or your hours or who's doing most of the care. But um, you could possibly talk about uh, maybe both of you get an evening to do what you want and like you hire a sitter or something like that. We don't we don't really know f- from the booth here, but um, definitely try and iron out why specifically she is uncomfortable with you leaving or spending time with your friends. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you because I feel like that's the one part of the letter where I wanted more detail. Because, like, there's little bits of, like, deserting her and the kids. Um, she had to show for the kids to church. Um, Even though it was only 10 minutes. And I don't know why she gets upset when my friends come over. So I, I, I found myself wanting to fill in the details. Like, uh, I would, yeah, ask your wife more questions. Like, is it that... You make these plans at the last minute and then expect all the housework and childcare to be something that she picks up on your behalf without warning. Um, is she upset because when your friends come over, y'all make a mess and you expect her to clean up? Or is that not a dynamic at all? And she simply does not like the fact that you want to sometimes spend time with people who aren't her and the kids and you need to push back against that. So you know, be honest with both yourself and with her and try to figure out what's the actual complaint here. Because if the complaint is the way that you socialize makes life at home a lot more difficult for me, then that's something where you can meaningfully compromise and you might need to think about how you can make it easier for your wife. If it's simply, I don't like it that you see your family, I don't like it when you have friends over, then you get to, you know, have a trickier conversation about like, you might not like that, but that's pretty normal for me. I'm going to keep doing that. I'm not abandoning you. If I have drinks with friends once a month and see my family once a month, I'm really comfortable doing that. And I love you, but I'm not going to stop. So uh, that's where I think you can do some more fact finding and you will know better um, both the like dynamic of the inside of your marriage. And also if you ask your wife questions about like, what is the problem here? I want to know because if there's something I can do to be more helpful to you, I want to do that. And if there's a limit that I just need to draw... I want to do that too. So, couple, yeah, I, I did not have a really clear sense on whether or not the wife's requests or desires were reasonable or unreasonable. But certainly what you have described here, having a couple drinks with friends once a month, seeing your parents once a month, that's not a problem. Yeah. And I think the only thing I would add to that is just for the discussion part, when you talk to her, if you could be careful to make it not sound like what is your problem with this, but this is a problem, this is a challenge that we are dealing with together, I think that might be more productive. Because if you say, you know, I'm doing these things and you seem to have a real problem with it, that might put her on the defensive. Whereas if you say that, you know, this is something that like I've noticed and I want to make sure that we can work through it together that might set the stage for a more productive conversation. I mean, again, it's going to depend a lot on your personal interrelation, you know, your relational dynamics. But um, but yeah, especially if um, if there's already a little bit of tension, it might help to sort of present it as a thing that you can work on jointly. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, 
baseline, if she's not close with her family and doesn't see her friends very often and she enjoys that and that's fine for her, great. Doesn't mean that you have to do the same thing. So I think it's just going to be good for both of you to not try to like normalize one set of behaviors and say mm-hmm. the other one is weird and aberrant. Aberrant? I actually don't know how to say that word out loud. I just <laughs> realized only ever... Wait, is that where we're going? No, A-B-E-R-R-A-N-T. Like an aberration. Yeah, oh. I know how to say that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that word. I, this this one you're bringing up is completely new to Fantastic. me. Fantastic. So we're all doing great. Um, we learn something new every day. We really do. Um, all right. This next letter is um, not necessarily – I don't necessarily agree with the letter writer's assessment of their own situation. Like I mm-hmm. think they're being a little unnecessarily hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. But I did want to like keep the language uh, in there so that we could talk a little bit about that frame. Yeah. So the subject is how do I grow up and find love? Dear Prudence, I'm almost 30 and I've never dated or had sex. I know this isn't as unusual as the media makes it out to be, but I feel very inexperienced when hearing about my peers' relationships. A couple of guys approached me in high school and college, but I initially thought that the relationships were platonic, then panicked when they suddenly brought up topics like fetishes and cut them off. I've always been very shy and haven't always been the kindest person, so I've rarely had many friends. I'm so used to spending most of my time alone that I hardly even notice anymore. I realized recently that I haven't kissed anyone in about eight years, and every kiss has involved alcohol. I've had plenty of serious crushes, but was never brave enough to do anything about them. It seemed fun enough to watch these guys from a distance. Now, I have a huge crush on an old acquaintance who I recently found again online, and I'm in sort of a panic. I doubt that I'll have the nerve to contact him, but it's finally hit me that if I ever want a relationship, I'll have to be a bit more aggressive, and I don't even know where to begin. I feel way too shy and childish to even talk to most guys, whether I like them or not. To me, a crush is still a huge secret. This feels impossibly juvenile. Are these kinds of reactions even vaguely appropriate or common at my age? Any suggestions for moving past them into the adult world of dating? So just to, like, open with kind of my take on that. On the one hand, I absolutely hear that the letter writer feels like, I want to start doing this. This is a goal of mine. I desire to try to date and try to be in relationships. Um, And I feel that this has mostly been influenced by an immaturity on my part that I don't want to hold me back anymore. So all of that, totally reasonable, makes a ton of sense. I can sign off on that 100%. And then just on the other hand, the framing of... Um, not dating, not having sex is always or inherently childish. Dating, getting into romantic relationships is inherently adult. Um, and I need to cross from one to the other because I'm almost 30. Um, and that I would just like to lovingly challenge. Um, and to say that, again, it totally makes sense that it feels like for you, you have been held back by something that you don't want to hold back anymore or you don't want to hold you back anymore. Um, but that if you were genuinely otherwise happy with your life um, and had meaningful relationships and simply did not want to do those things, that does not make you inherently not grown up. Um, lots of people are very, very grown up and do not date or like prioritize romantic love. Um, and that is not like a, a flaw in their development. So for whatever that's worth, I think that's a, a good idea to point out. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely agree. What do you all think? If you're in this person's situation, how do you work on like renegotiating these set of assumptions that have kind of governed your romantic conduct for most of your adult life? I would actually start, I think, with, you know, they mention that um, that they've always been quite shy and that they've gotten really used to spending time alone. And so I think a very safe way to do this could just be to try to increase the amount of socialization in your life in a way uh, that feels sort of safe and understandable, whether that's exploring um, hobbies that you enjoy or common interests. I mean, that could be anything from 
a meetup group that goes on hikes to people who watch Star Trek once a week, you know. But um, but I think that that would be a really good way because especially, I mean, I've certainly gone through periods where I've been, for example, really head down in work and I look up and I realize that I haven't talked to any of my friends in, you know, a couple of months it feels like. And I, it can be really scary at first to say, oh, my God, did I forget how to interact with people? But um, I think that as you do that, first of all, that is really helpful psychologically to remind you that you can, in fact, interact with other people in any way. And second of all, um, you should absolutely not do it with the purpose of finding dates or relationships. But sometimes when you make friends, that is a good way to meet people as well. And so I, I think that, it, you know, there's the possibility that it would have that secondary benefit. Um, so I would actually really start with that, with just sort of accepting um, you know, you mentioned, oh, I haven't been that kind in the past. Well, you know, here is today, right? And so whether or not that's an accurate self-assessment, um, you can certainly control how you act today and how you interact with other people. And um, that might be a good way to sort of stretch those muscles. I definitely agree. I d- it doesn't sound like uh, the letter writer has a um, terrible amount of, like, personal development esteem like self-esteem problems outside of this. Wow. I feel so childish because I'm behind relationship wise. Um, uh, I definitely feel like it's a phenomenon where people, some people in general who um, are particularly introverted and have trouble dating, like they don't, you know, that they, they don't go outside either because they don't want to, or they're afraid to um, something like that. Uh, stretching the social muscles definitely would be like an important start partially just because it's, it's very, it can, depending on who you are, it can be very fulfilling. Um, like for me, I am a generally introverted person, but if I don't see other human beings for a period of time, I feel awful. I like to go out and hang out with my friends for like maybe three hours and then like, wow, that was exhausting. Then I go home and I recharge with my dog, right? But it sounds like, uh, uh, letter writer, you're um, just, you, you, you were shy in the past and you're, you're still shy now. So as awful and dangerous as a suggestion this might be hillary just gave me this awful look and brought her head back and that is you can practice talking to strangers through the internet (laughs) and trust me i know online dating is awful on both sides for a variety of reasons um but you know it can give you practice for like talking flirting and if you choose a platform that doesn't allow like the sending of images you don't have to see anything you don't really want to which is like probably number, and like it. It feels weird. Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, I met my significant other uh, on an online dating site, right? And one of the things she brought up at the beginning was, "Well, it feels weird that you're just some guy I met on the internet, and now you're here petting my cats, right?" That that that's not like a euphemism. Literally, she has two cats. Yeah. Um. But so yeah, it it does feel weird, right? But y- you're. But it's still another human being, and like. You can just talk to them, right? And you can try and be as like extra flirty. Like, wow, you could be, you could try and be a character of flirtiness and just see how it goes. And if you're in a, like a large, like urban metropolitan area, there's a decent chance that you will never have to see this person again. Yeah. No, I, I think, that, I think that's, I think that's fair. And I would, I would also add to that. Just, I was reading through this letter again. I just picked up on one other thing where at the end you were saying, oh, a crush is still a huge secret. Um, are these kinds of reactions even vaguely appropriate or common at my age? Yeah, crushes last throughout your life. Like, yes. So, Definitely. I mean, you like I find that I've gotten better at handling feelings over the years. But um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too down on yourself about that. I think that it is normal. 
interpersonal relationships can fluster the best of us. And so I wouldn't worry too much about, oh, I'm feeling this way because I'm so rusty and out of practice. I think it might be because you're human. And so that's that's something that I wouldn't worry about too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of wrap this up. I think there's definitely a lot here, right, between like um, – that that one line about I haven't been kind, so I don't have a lot of friends. Um, that might be worth. I, I I don't know if that feels like that's changed for you recently, or if that's something that you've tried to get help for. But you know, certainly if if part of your problem is I'm not sure how to talk to people, especially people I like, cultivating kindness is going to be important um, because shyness and cruelty are a rough combination. If intimacy is your goal, mm-hmm. um, so uh, it's certainly like cultivating the kindness um, in your own life, uh, spending a little more time talking to the friends that you do have, Um, not necessarily putting all your eggs in one basket with this old acquaintance. Like, I I don't think you should get in touch and say, like, I've got a huge crush on you. Um, Definitely. Absolutely not. (laughs) But, you know, certainly if at some point you want to get back in touch and just see how he's doing, I encourage that. And yeah, I think generally speaking, talking to other people, especially talking to guys before you get to the level of, oh, God, I've got this huge crush, when it's a little lower stakes is going to be helpful, especially as you're dealing with this like sense of panic which is just like if you let it get to the point of like oh gosh i think i'm in love with you then that kind of means the other person has to either catch up with you real quick or say no yeah um so i don't think this is going to be something that's going to change overnight um i think this is going to be a pretty big learning curve i I think that the idea of trying online dating even if you have no intention of going on dates just like talking practice just to see it as talking practice that may prove helpful therapy may prove helpful um trying to set a goal of something like is something that feels scary but not so terrifying that you'd want to shut down. Like maybe like one time this month, I'm going to talk to a stranger at a coffee shop. Mm. I'm not going to beat myself up if I don't do it. I'm not going to try to do it every day. I'm not going to try to become like a social butterfly, but just like I'm going to have a pleasant conversation with somebody at a coffee shop about the weather or like a cool thing that yeah. we see up on the bulletin board. Um, those little experiments will be helpful in terms of normalizing talking to guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I would do want to add one thing from from my perspective uh, on like the on the male end of dating. It is super duper flattering if a woman tries like initiates a conversation with me. Right? Assuming the letter writer is a woman. Oh yes, assuming Which, the letter writer is a woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's certainly possible, but we yeah. don't know for yes. sure. Yeah. yeah. So that that is how I read this. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm incorrect, well, d- do you say guys in the letter? Um, well, yes, but there's lots of there's lots of there's lots of permutations of that. But I think yes. building on what you're trying to say, as a general rule, like if somebody is not, you know, obviously you don't want to talk to somebody who is making it clear that they don't want to be talked to. But you know, it can be really easy to blow up this fear of nobody wants to hear from me. Who am I? And you know, I think that it can be it, a lot of times people are really happy to talk to another person in the world. I mean, it varies. Read the room. But mm-hmm. um, but there, but certainly I wouldn't get too hung up on the fear that um, anything you do is just like a huge imposition. And, and certainly I think what you were pointing out does apply whether the letter writer is male or female or non-binary or have you. Yeah. Guys generally don't get approached and chatted up as often in public Fair. as yeah. women do. So you do have a little bit of that on your side in the sense that there will be many guys who will be like, hey, somebody's talking to me. <laughs> yeah, this like, is oh great. God, like, yeah. All right. Let's um, move on to the next letter. Oh, Lord. Okay. Um, subject, free, which I think we will see has a lot of meanings in this letter. Dear Prudence, my wife rents out her suburban sprawl while we live in my city-side condo. We squirrel every cent into our retirement funds. My stepdaughter is the failure, failed out of high school, failed to finish college, failed to find a job, etc. Nothing is ever her fault, and at 24, she expects everyone to celebrate her unplanned pregnancy. 
Nothing, none of her siblings act like this. We have spent more money on her than both her brothers combined. She wants to move with her lover into her ho- into the house my wife rents out. Free, of course. It is her childhood home, after all. This is the breaking point for me. Once the baby comes, it will be the bludgeon used against us until the next one comes. My stepdaughter doesn't feel the need to work, and her lover has only a part-time job. I am not ready to spend our golden years paying for my stepdaughter reproducing on our dime. We have paid off cars and college educations. This is more than either my wife or I got. My wife cries, feeling the guilt about, quote, abandoning her first grandchild. I tell her her daughter needs to act like an adult for once. Counseling has been useless on this issue. What do I do? I am not surprised that counseling has been useless on this issue. This letter writer does not sound like, um, I'm going to go ahead and assume that this is a gentleman married to a lady. Um, uh, It does not sound like he has been willing to spend a lot of time rethinking any of his positions for even a second. No. Nope. I, the... I mean, the language is just not the, good. The, yeah. the judgment really does sort of drip from this, which is not to say that there might not be legitimate issues here. Certainly. But I mean, I think if it is if even an ounce of the resentment that is coming out of this letter um, is evident to any of the other people in the situation, then that might contribute to a less than productive dynamic. Yeah, I, I certainly think, you know, not wanting to give her a a, a rent free um place to live is a, is a reasonable conversation to want to have with your wife but like that line about like she expects everyone to celebrate her unplanned pregnancy yeah man you like, should still be excited about your grandchild I, I don't know what to tell you like also babies are not bludgeons she, like that's a horrific image she, like she has chosen to carry this pregnancy to term yes. so she's obviously excited to become a parent and it's not the 1840s and she's in a, you know, she's youngish, but she's 24. She's an adult. Like, yeah, you should be celebrating her pregnancy. Even if you have some concerns about how she's going to raise the kid, even if you want to draw some reasonable boundaries about how much you're willing to help out financially, you should absolutely say, I'm really excited because she's having a damn baby. And that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like the, um, you know, there are, this may be something where you could eventually set up some sort of, you know, boundaries or conditions, like you're saying. Like, it could absolutely be that maybe you and your wife could set up something where you agree to only limited support, assuming that that doesn't put the baby... Like, I, I mm-hmm. also, I want to point out that the baby shouldn't go out on the street, right? Like, we want to make sure that the baby... Yeah, it, it, it doesn't sound like that's a, a that, 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 that's a real happen. concern. Yeah. yeah, and again, totally understandable given how much money you've spent on the the kids, especially this kid, and the degree to which your wife is like unable to even contemplate the idea of a boundary before just panicking that like her baby's going to be homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly, I, I I can understand why you do feel like you need to be the bad guy because your wife is just like, let's continue to treat her like she's fourteen forever. But you got to be able to dial back some of mm-hmm. this like intense wave of judgment. Um, otherwise, no just... one's going to listen to you if you yeah. if if like they think you're judging them constantly. Like some of this language is really rough. Baby bludgeon um, referring to your daughter's significant other as lover as if it's Twice. not a signi- not like a serious relationship. Right. That's that's like that's really rough. Like what? Just be yes, obviously they had sex because the baby's coming, but they probably do more than physical loving. There's probably emotional connection there because they want to live together, right? Yeah. Um, There's a way to set a boundary without saying like you're the failure. I won't celebrate your unplanned pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Your lover's a deadbeat. Yeah. Um, right. There's a way to say like to your wife, we need to have a conversation that is like 
careful and thoughtful and um, is not just like signing up for indefinite free housing when you and I are both working really hard to save up for retirement. I understand that like we both love our daughter. I hope you love your daughter um, and that this is hard for you. But I really want to have like a conversation about this where we can agree on something. Yeah. Um, Also, like you say, your wife rents out her suburban sprawl. So like ultimately... If your if your wife owns that place in her own name outright and she decides that she's willing to do this um, for her daughter, she can do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, it's not your house. It's yeah. worth noting, though, though, that they do live in his city side condo. So like, if she is not paying rent on his while living there, but making money on the side and like that. Makes things a bit fuzzy. Of course. No, yeah. I, I think mostly the way to look at this is that they both get to make decisions, mm-hmm. but it should not be about like trying – like I think in some ways he is trying to – if he were to do that, he'd be using his money as a mm-hmm. bludgeon, which is to say like, yeah, exactly. you know, this is your stepdaughter. This is not your daughter. Um, I don't know how long you've been with your wife um, or if you had a hand in like raising her, this stepdaughter or if you kind of showed up like towards the end of college, beginning of high school, and you just mm-hmm. basically got to be like a distantly disapproving adult man <laughs> at her. Um, but I, I, I do think you got to take a bit of a step back here. Like you can advocate for your own position. You can certainly say why you don't think this is going to help your stepdaughter become more independent in the long run. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly say like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, like, include any of my own money in this. Um, but it, ultimately, if your wife decides that she is willing to rent out her own home, even if it's for free to her daughter, um, that's her that's her choice. And and if you don't want to, uh, you know, paying for your stepdaughter to reproduce on your dime is just really gross. Like, yeah. she's not reproducing on your dime. Like, she just, like, found a fun loophole and, like, is using her own body as, like, a baby factory in yeah. order to inconvenience you. Like, she's an adult who makes choices that maybe you often don't like and, frankly, may even act entitled about your money in a way that you decide you want to set boundaries with, which sure. is all fine. But language like reproducing on my dime is just really gross. It really is, especially when you consider – like, I would also leave the siblings out if at all possible just because that might help some of the dynamics. But it's especially – yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's – Yep. Yeah. So certainly, like, your wife is not abandoning her grandchild by not giving her daughter a free house. Um, but also, ultimately, if your wife wants to make that decision, um, you need to find a way to set your own appropriate boundaries that don't get into your daughter's a failure and she's using my money to have babies because she hates me and, you know, you're weak and your daughter's a failure. Like, that just needs to be a no-go. Yeah. Um, and good luck. Yes. I don't. I don't see this marriage going great um but maybe it will but there's a baby coming so that's cool babies fix everything as we know yeah all right tyler i think this one's you all right subject what do i owe her dear prudence my husband was having an affair when he died i didn't know exactly but i had a strong suspicion it was a married mutual friend that's in quotes her grief was out of bounds for a woman who had barely barely knew us for a year she broke and sobbed so loudly the funeral uh, everyone could hear them in the next room I was completely numb and settled my affairs as fast as possible so I could leave. I later learned that this woman gave birth to a girl. I always wondered. Twenty years later, I was contacted by this girl and learned it was so. A blood test exposed her mother's lies, and now the girl is demanding to know if I had anything of her father. She was upset and brusque when I spoke with her on the phone. I still have extensive holdings from my first marriage. My husband had a taste for fine art as well as dabbled in it himself. 
Most of his personal items have since been scattered to the four winds. I only kept a few photographs of both of us in happier times. I don't know if this girl's biologically my husband's. He had no living family, and she looks exactly like her mother, who I looked up on Facebook. I know I am not having a rational reaction to her. She is a child trying to put her past back into place, but her demands make me want to drop my honeymoon photos in kerosene and light a match. The photographs and paintings remind me of being happy, being hopeful, and before our son was born. He died a few days after birth due to a heart defect. What do I owe this girl? Woo! That I'm last so line. sorry. This is just really, really traumatizing. And I I, I think I'm a, I'm a little confused because it says that a blood test has led this girl to believe that your husband was her father. Um, but then you later say, I don't know if this girl is biologically my husband's. So either she had a paternity pe- test that simply proved the man she thought was her father was not her biological father. And her mom has said, I think it was this other person. Or she has a paternity test that does prove that your husband was her biological father. And that's just really hard for you to process. I don't know which one it is. Either way, um, you don't owe her anything other than a polite explanation that you will not be available for any further conversation. And then to set her emails to auto-delete, block her number, um, simply hold firm to that boundary. I definitely agree. Um, Like, even if your um, late husband was her biological father, uh, he didn't play a role in her life. So he has no, I guess, he is functionally identical to a sperm donor. Right. And however she wants to feel about that is totally her business. But like you, mm-hmm. given that he died decades ago um, and you did not know at the time that he may have fathered a child, um, you learned about this way later. There's just no information that you can give her that's going to be helpful, you know, like mm-hmm. and you don't you were not a part of this. You did not choose to help create this child. All you have to say is I am not available to talk about this. Um I, I I won't answer to any future attempts at communication. Be I would. Well. I mean, I there is something in here. There's a, so there's a, there's a lot of different things in here. So writ large, I agree with you all. But there's there is one thing that would actually make me suggest that it might be useful to talk to a lawyer if you are so inclined, because mm. you do mention that she wanted to know if you had anything of her late father and that you have extensive holdings that include fine art that were related to your first marriage. And so it sounds like there are several concerns here, not least of which, of course, is an incredibly painful time in your life. Um, But if you are concerned at all about things like material holdings, that could be something where it might not hurt to have the advice of a lawyer on hand. I wouldn't, you know, you probably don't need to go too deep into that, but... Yeah, you certainly don't need to tell her that you've consulted one, but you absolutely can. Yeah, I I think just to say, like, uh, I'm genuinely sorry that you have, like, come to this realization late in life. Um, This reminds me of a very traumatic time in my history, um, and and I'm not available for this conversation is totally okay. Yeah. That's not cruel. She's not your daughter. This is not something that you invited or caused. Um, and you know, if it's like putting you back in this time of like finding out that your husband who had just died had been having an affair and then fathered a child and then that you'd also had a child die around the same time, like this is not your problem. It's to not solve. your circus, not your monkeys. Yeah. 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 It, this is really, really rough. And I just, you know, I, I don't think that you owe her anything other than a polite, this is the last time we will speak. Um, I, I genuinely feel sorry for her situation, but yeah, you know, that's, that's just because it's a bad situation. Yeah. All right. Last one. 
trying to end on a slightly lighter note. Subject, we've got history. Dear Prudence, we're a month into the new school year. There's a parent of a child in the class that I have a history with. We used to be wonderful friends years ago until a misunderstanding turned into friendship ruin. Fast forward about a decade, and as luck would have it, our children are in their second year of preschool in the same class. The other mom has yet to speak to me, and I'm not sure how to approach her. When our friendship ended, we were both young and hot-headed. Any suggestions for how to broker peace, or at least coexist for the benefit of our kids? I don't think I can handle a Big Little Lies-style subplot somewhere down the line. I can barely manage the cold season that's just started. As an aside, I just saw Big Little Lies for the first time a couple weeks ago, and... I really, really, really enjoyed myself. I have not seen it yet. I have a nasty habit of reading the recaps of shows that I have not actually watched. So I have. I'm so guilty. So I have. I have. I have. I have a rough idea of how it goes, but that's that's good to note. Um, Just expensive sweaters and yelling. Oh, that sounds great. No, this is this is you know this is tricky, but um, fortunately, it's been about a decade, so that's I think that's good. You know, it gives you a little bit of room. I want to open it up to the possibility that you might not actually have to interact with your child's parent. Like, I don't know how close the parents are, um, but I think there is a very you can cert- if this is something that you want to address um, because you would like to address it or because you think there's a high probability that you'll be working, you know, with the other mom, then that's fine. Um, I would entertain the possibility that you might not actually have to interact with them that much if if you're really not ready to, because, I mean, it's it's not exactly like a workplace. You may see them at uh you know a holiday pageant and that might be about it so PTA, yeah. P- sure. yeah whatever I mean, it's not much it's it's not much but if you want to and i mean i've i've i can empathize with this um i think you could you could certainly consider a coffee just to be like hey hello you know we're gonna see each other um you don't even have to rehash it, just be like i wanted to say hi uh you could send a short email if that uh if that made you feel better but um yeah i don't know that it necessarily depending on, I mean, this sounds like a misunderstanding. It doesn't sound like one of you murdered another spouse. And so, you know, is that a, wait, is that a big little lies? Um, no, I'm not gonna talk about it. Uh, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> offer any spoilers. Uh, yeah, my guess is if they're mentioning big little lies, part of the plot of that show was that everybody was super wealthy and super involved in their children's school. Okay. Like everybody was like okay. meticulously and obsessively involved in like four-year-old's everyday business so it my guess is at least that that's part of what's going on here this is the kind of thing where it's like oh we're in the same highly competitive preschool and all of us have way too much money okay um in which case you know they will have to interact right no 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 actually in which case i would say you get to maybe think about reevaluating some of your priorities in life (laughs) um and decide whether or not you would like to spend your many many resources being hyper involved in the social lives of four-year-olds um you can absolutely take a step back just because you may have a preschool with a lot of very 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 wealthy children does not in fact mean that you have to be close personal friends with all the other kids parents Mm -hmm. um you can just let your kid go to preschool and then like you know, be polite when you run into people at pickup. And if somebody doesn't want to talk to you but is not going out of their way to make things difficult for you, accept that the two of you have an icy detente. And that is it. That is the extent of the the, the reason that I would not. It, like if the other person is giving you nothing, if there's not even like tentative eye contact or the occasional tight smile, mm-hmm. I think leading with do you want to get coffee um, That's it, fair. is a little bit of a you got to read the room. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like so certainly, you know. Don't invade her space, but, like, if you have the opportunity to offer that gentle smile or some brief, friendly eye contact, 
do it. Just just so she knows at least that like there's not enmity on your side. If her response to that is a little bit of increased warmth, great. Maybe you could talk about coffee and saying like, hey, I just, you know, we don't have to revisit the past. I just want you to know like I'm, I'm glad to see you're doing well. Your kid seems great. I hope that we can stay civil. Um, and if they don't and if they just give you the same iciness as before, I think you have your answer and you can just accept I'm not going to be best friends with this person. Yeah, I think this one, I agree with both of you. This is like fairly straightforward. You can, it. Do, I feel like it doesn't have to be a problem if you don't make it a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, take Hillary's approach. If you minimize, if you don't talk to her, you don't minimize contact, you pick up, you drop off, that it is what it is and you don't have to worry. If this is, if you want to be more involved with your child's preschool, if you want to be like a field trip chaperone, et cetera, et cetera, um, I would just treat this individual with the kindness that you would treat any other stranger while being mindful of the history that's there just for extra sensitivity. Yeah. 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 And I think basically, you know, uh, short of feeling like you two have to hash this out or there will be something like inauthentic about preschool pickup at one in the afternoon. Um, that would be the problem that would lead to a possible big little lie style subplot. Like yeah. if you can just accept some aspects of my child's like pre-K education will be imperfect and it will remind me that in my own life I have sometimes made decisions that don't sit well with me years later or that I'm not proud of. That's okay. That's part of life. Yeah, it's hard sometimes. But, you know, recognizing that you have changed as a person is part of personal growth, yeah. even if it's difficult. And it can be hard to feel like you have changed as a person and and you you know, would not treat someone like that now. Um, And also to know that you cannot repair a particular relationship because sometimes it can feel like if I am different now, everyone who has ever felt badly about me or did not like me needs to forgive and love me now. Yeah. And sadly, that is not how personal growth works. Sometimes people still don't like you. Um, You know, uh, our mother always says you can't make a person feel a certain way. And I think that that is really applicable here. You know, you can you can certainly affect how you behave but ultimately at the end of the day that's going to be their decision and all you can control is how you react to it and i have to say i think there might have been something to that because you two are very polite siblings to one another (laughs) for now (laughs) i mean whatever you guys kept it together for an hour and a half in the recording studio which is pretty solid actually true story we were not allowed to say shut up growing up um because my mother thought that it was rude and dismissive so we're allowed to say be quiet or please be quiet Mm -hmm. but we were not allowed to say shut up to each other shut up was definitely also forbidden at least until sixth grade. Oh my yeah. gosh, I love all the fake curse words in elementary school. <laughs> oh like they're all gosh. ridiculous, and like I'm gonna tattle on you. And then my favorite thing is you say a bad word, and like shut up, and everyone goes, oh, yeah. yeah. But thank ours you. Was, simpler ours times. was oh my cuss. <laughs> like you would just say the word cuss instead of a cuss. I was a big fan of oh my lanta. Oh, that's good. Solid, solid. I did not realize that like my lanta was still advertising when you were growing up. This was because you were this such was, young people. Later, uh, with people who had much more conservative households, so this is probably like late middle school. Well, we grew up in the South, so um, we I think we grew up around a, like not, this is not true, of course. Uh, I don't want to make a unilateral statement about the South, but we were around a lot of people who probably made a point to not cuss. So, but thank you for the compliment with the courtesy. Um, our mother will be delighted. She herself gives very good advice, and um, I think has been a really good role model for us in that respect. All right. Well, so. next time I want your mom and your other sibling on the show. I want all <laughs> oh, that the would be amazing. Why don't we just get my dad, and then it'll be like it'll be like Thanksgiving all over again. Yeah. Fantastic, guys. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. 
don't miss an episode of the show, head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening.